Hello and welcome to Save That the Podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA. I'm losing my mind on orange soda. Wow. <laughs> also joining us, Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions. Must be nice having an orange soda. Well, it's 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 been a little bit problematic so far. When we uh, when we do the inevitable behind the music documentary about the Save That Podcast. There will be a scene in bl- stark black and white of an orange soda spilling across the table yeah, to represent right. when it all fell apart. That's, that's right. right. That's right. Joining us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. I am looking around for more snacks. I'm not seeing them. And uh, I may do this whole episode in a very sad voice. Wow. Wow. Yes, a snackless podcast recording is not a good way to do this. No. Also, almost 300 episodes in, that may be the first snackless episode we've done. Yeah. Right. Now, yeah. speaking of snacks, by the way, we do want to uh, give thanks and report on a Gripesgiving miracle. Ooh. Oh, wow. And that is a Gripesgiving miracle comes all the way from us from a land that uh, I'm told is, no, is not fictional. I was updated on that very recently. Um, that would be called New Zealand. That's and where the orcs are. Apparently, yeah. Um, okay. Is, which is you? You think that there people wouldn't want to live there because all the orcs, right? But, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Apparently, they make do, and I think that's a a message of peace for us all. We know what they've got to help with that, right? What's that? The orcan man. Okay. Wow. okay, it was a bit, it was a bit mid nineties, but I really yeah. like your hustle. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> for the K. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I got it. Yeah, if I that was the, get it, but if I that was it. the final scene of the third. <laughs> Lord of the Rings movie, like we kind of ran out of budget for the uh, the big armies and whatnot, so we're kind of gonna Monty Python the Holy Grail style, yeah, just wipe with. But instead of a cop, it's just an orchid man comes in and sprays them all. <laughs> all right. I would watch that. But from the wonderful land of New Zealand, we have uh, some treats courtesy of Superfan and our friend Bridie that arrived just in time for us to be notified of them on Gripes Giving, uh, and they're filled with bits of real koala. That's what I hear. Indeed. But the, the truly amazing part of this, other than Bridie sending us uh, wonderful Cadbury candies, which is truly amazing, is uh, Glenn griped this into existence. That's right. Wow. Yeah, Gripesgiving, uh, our, 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 our true super fans know, uh, we celebrate after Thanksgiving every year. Uh, it is uh, very ceremonial. We have our specific food... Uh, Rage uh, chips. Rage yep. chips. And then, and we'd have the bowl of wrath. You put in all the things that you're unhappy about. Yeah. And we, we had a lovely celebration. Everyone should, po- was, should point out, we, this would be the first episode we recorded post-Gripesgiving. That's right. Mm. Yeah, that's why we're, on, we're, you know, we're so Riding balanced and healthy. Yeah. Uh, but as, as a Gripesgiving Eve thing, I had griped that there was no chocolate mm. for... The podcast recording. Mm. Now, I tried to point out that we record the podcast at Glenn's house, so if anyone was in charge of what foodstuffs are around, that would be him, but that fell on extremely deaf ears. Okay. So, uh, thankfully, though, conveniently, from New Zealand, yes, chocolates. Yes, that's wow. right. So, it's pretty, it was what you call a Gripesgiving miracle. It definitely was, and on that basis, I feel the need to... Declare a Gripesgiving recap emergency. Ooh. Wow. We introduced the people to Gripesgiving last week. We, we, kind of, we, had, a, we had a pre-round. We got some gripes out there specifically about the church. Yeah. Now, we, I feel it's, it's a good idea to report to how things went, especially given 
that we now know that we may have this new power where we can gripe things to be right. Mm. Yeah. So we did have a lovely time. We gathered at a Jed and Hallie's house. We the raid ships were had. There were many, many, many pies. Like yeah. almost a sarcastic amount of pie. Yes. Yeah. Like it took four people to carry them back to the car. Remnants of pie. Yeah. And that's the good stuff. I did insist that I have one bit of each pie. Yes. And it was brought to me. And I should not have done that. Yes. And you screamed. It's scribes giving. I'm not waiting for any of you. And That's then just true. Tasmanian devil style shoved your fork <laughs> yeah, into a plate eating. full of pie. Yeah. So we had that. Then we, of course, had the, uh, the bowl of wrath yeah. filled with the gripes. Yeah. We pulled them out. We griped about work. We griped about church. We griped about the gym. We griped about uh, health. Mm. But there was one specific gripe oh. that'll be interesting to see. If we have this griping power of fixing things, because if I can take you inside the uh, the scene here, dear listener, we're set up at the table. Um, all of us gathered around uh, Jed and Hallie's kitchen table. Jed at one end, Glenn at the other. And you got, uh, if you're going around one side, kind of Hallie and Tosh on one side, myself and our co Pete on the other side. And we're pulling out the gripes, and it's a blind pull. We put them all in the bowl. Jed draws them, reads them. Then whoever gripe it has, gripes to the heart content. We introduced this year a gripe off system. Right. When you're done, wow. you declare gripe off. Then we introduced the, uh, the Glenn innovation of the tag in gripe assist. Yeah. <laughs> when someone was done with their main gripe, you could declare gripe assist. Right. And then dogpile on their gripe. Yep. So we'd gone a few rounds, but uh, you, you also want part of the fun of gripes giving. And it, when we put out the gripes giving home kit, you can all do this for yourselves. The bowl of wrath is very sharp. Mm, so be yeah. careful with that. Um, so part of the fun is Jed will pull it out, read the title of the gripe, the person written on the card, and then there's a couple of seconds of guessing who put that in there. Yeah. So we pulled one out that said, best I can recall the exact verbiage, Christians, you have to stop breaking dating. Seriously, you're killing me. And all eyes turned down the table to Glenn. <laughs> For someone else, I will, I will keep this anonymous, but it was one of the ladies pop up and say, actually, that was me. Right. Because I've been meeting with some gals. And oh my lord. Yeah. Yeah. So Glenn, before we get to the solution, can you break down for us the nature of the problem that was brought forth? Well, yeah, the, the, the nature of the problem is that there is a, a large church in here in the Chicago area. A lot of young uh, people in the church, a lot of singles there. Uh, and uh, the idea, of course, is uh, let me meet somebody my age and uh, maybe start dating, maybe one day get married. Sure. And... Um, that there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, you know, if, if you're getting fed in that situation, then you're, you're doing great. Um, but apparently that the, the, the dating thing had not been happening. Uh, that apparently was because Christians broke it mm. by being weirdos. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but don't worry, that guy's uh, kickstarting a documentary about how he broke it. Uh, yeah. Talk about how it's broken now. So let's give him money to thank him. Sure. For all of the screwed up inness that he screwed up and got rich doing in the first place. Let's wow. not give money to missions. That would be crazy. Sure. Absolutely. Now, here's what happened is uh, this church is having problems in this area. So they said, you know what we're going to do? Okay. We're going to fix it. Ooh, I like fixing. So here's what they say. They say... Ladies, take a back seat. 
Oh, now, were, were they fixing this through the uh, never fail, unfaultable medium of sermon series? <laughs> That's right. Every church loves a passive aggressive sermon series. I mean, it, it, let me tell you <laughs> what. Uh, if if you are having problems in your church, you know it'll fix it every time. Sermon series. Now, should you start that by saying, because we're having X problem, we're going to talk about this? Yeah. Or should you just pretend it came out of nowhere? Yeah, you should just like, well, it came up in the rotation. <laughs> well, so here's what happens is uh, they said, you know what, ladies? Take a back seat, because you know what's going to happen? These men are going to take charge. That doesn't sound good. Yeah. Um, that's, okay, but um, that's a dumb idea, but yeah. it, it motivated them, and now it's happening? And no, no, no. No, that never was going to happen there was no hope of it okay. at all whatsoever uh and also we aren't addressing the problem that led to this situation okay so we just took half the people who could solve it and told them but out right right because a man is going to fix it right huh. right which uh well glenn if you look around the church the country and the world at large i think you'll uh you'll find that men mostly fix things is that right? Yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, get a man on the scene. We have top men everywhere. On that basis, I declare a secondary emergency. Wow. <laughs> I the emergency don't know assist. that that's uh, permitted, but okay. Yeah, there you, there you go. Gripe, emergency assist. This, uh, there you go. Okay. The alley-oop. Okay, here's what happened. <laughs> We're in what you call the, uh, the, ho- the holiday season. We yeah. are. Well, okay, so I'm out uh, on a, what they call Black Friday. Sure, spreading cheer and whatnot. Uh, they call it Black Friday. Black Friday because it's so cheerful and fun and exciting. Yep. So, like the uh, Black Death, that was fun. Right. So I uh, <laughs> went to a store, and uh, the lady is ringing up my items at the at the check checkout aisle. So far, you're doing very well. And here's what she said. She said, "Merry Christmas." And I, you know what? I actually got a little bit offended. Okay. Because here's here's the thing. I don't know if you know this, but if you break down the word Christmas, yeah, right? sure, you have Christ, and yes. says, that's Jesus. Right there. The other one is Mass. Okay. Now, as you guys know, Mass is an object's resistance to acceleration. Sure, yes. And <laughs> Jesus is not resistant to accelerating anything. No. So I don't even know where that's coming from. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, but that that's mass with two S's. There's only one S on when, Christmas. And here's what I'm telling you. You know what you should be saying, and this is this is political correctness gone crazy. You should Run be saying Yeah, you should be saying happy holidays. Okay. Here's why. Tell because me. the word holiday, this is actually true, means holy days. Mm. So this is a holy you have to the, I think Christmas should be holy. Ah. Oh. Not oh, Mary. Okay. Wow. It should be holy. Ah. Well, that's then. where I'm coming from. But the fact that you won't say happy holidays because of, you're bowing to the pressure mm. of the Christmas. Mm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah. yeah. So that's we got a we got a war on on that. OK, okay. so I, I think I can track this through the years of Christmas emergencies. Originally, there was a war on Christmas. Right. And we had to defend Christmas. Definitely. I think we had to defend Christmas with flamethrowers and bayonets. Well, there was a war on the war on Christmas. Well, yeah, then we got to the war on the war on Christmas, right. which we were part of, you were all in on. Yeah. Now it sounds like, because, you know, first it was, well, they say happy holidays, so that's right. a war on Christmas. Yep. So now the war on the war on Christmas is the USA Merry Christmas. So it sounds like you want to declare the war on the war on the war on Christmas. Correct. Okay. Because it's happy holidays. I couldn't agree more. 
And I think you know we've I mean? successfully demonstrated how men fix things. That, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. This is it. Mansplained it right into being solved. <laughs> well, I, I am loath to speak out. Oh no! Oh my heavens! In it's these legalistic jed. It's the legal. It's the jed of legalism yet to come. But I, I fear that there are <laughs> few amongst us who would boldly stand on the word of God mm. and proclaim it. How did you make God a three-syllable word and defend it? And, and apparently has a T on the end. That was weird. When I think of the women folk who mm. are uncertain of their role, oh, wow. I am reminded of the words of our Lord, as stated in the authorized version, <laughs> in the Gospel of Matthew, in the seventh chapter. Who yeah. authorized this? Would that be King James? Is that Where it says, and I quote, <laughs> If thou art of the appropriate gender, ask, and it shall be given you. I think you may have made part of that up. If thou art of the appropriate gender, seek, and ye shall find. That wow. feels like was the authorized version, you say. Knock, if thou art male, and it shall be opened unto you. Yeah, I don't <laughs> I think don't. that's... For every male person that asketh, receiveth. Did you get that from, like, a Jehovah's Witness, maybe? And he <laughs> that seeketh, findeth. <laughs> Were that, that, that was many... a lot of emphasis. Yeah, would that, that many E's in the authorized version? And to <laughs> him that knocketh. It shall be opened. Mm. The word of the Lord for the appropriately gendered people uh. of the Lord. <laughs> Amen. Wow. Thanks yeah. be to the patriarchy. Yeah. Let's, here's what I'm telling you. Uh, it's a happy holiday. Yeah. Yeah. Don't try and take the holiness out of the holidays. That's what happy holidays are for. Sure, absolutely. So I think uh, uh, we should attack anyone who says Merry Christmas. Right. Wow, that, okay, that last part was seemed strong. Yep, no, we got to attack them. Well, uh, if that's what we have to do to stand up for the truth. Sure. Uh, just go in and, like, you go into a church, and it's like they have a banner that says Merry Christmas. You say, right. you better take that down. Right, yeah. Because it's happy holidays. Yeah, that's right. You're taking the holiness out of the holidays. I think it's good. You know, because yeah. you're making it be about uh, live nativity scenes. Right. You right. know. It's about holiness, y'all. It's about holiness. Yeah. That's right. It's good. Well, I think on that uh, masterful Jesus juking of the Merry Christmas crowd, I'm going to call emergency off. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Does And at that, what coffee maker do I have to buy and then smash to be part of this war on the war on the war on Christmas? Like a coffee mate or something? Yeah, it seems good. You know, any appliance, we want to be inclusive, just any appliance you can smash. Okay, because I've got a toaster that's old, and I was just going to throw it out, but I can throw it out and trigger someone. Yeah, Here's what you do. You go to the store, and if it says Merry Christmas on the package, you just slam it on the ground and jump up and down on it. Wow, okay. That's how you do it. It's kind of full chimpanzee style. Yeah, that's how you do the war on the war on the war on the, the war on Christmas. Well, that's coming next year, almost certainly. Yeah. Well, I think the front lines of the war on the war on the war on the war on Christmas next year, well, certainly um, you're going to need the info. You're going to need some motivation. Sure. You're going to need a little bridge box, I think, if you really want to be an effective culture culture warrior, culture warrior right. in the war on the war on the war on Christmas. Right. Um, so you can sign up for Bridgebox, missionusa.com slash Bridgebox, only $8 a month. Uh, I have a feeling that uh, December's issue is going to be somewhat Christmas-tinged. I think there will be elements other, in there. Some other content. Holiday-tinged. Sure. Sure. That's the reason for the season. 
skit. I mean, I just made that up. That's yeah, how, that's, that's, catchy. that's how it rhymed. It must be true. Everything's yeah. catchy. Yeah. That's the Johnny Cochran school of, of theology there. It rhymed. Yeah. It must be true. Yes. Okay, $8 a month. MissionYosei.com slash Bridgebox. Music and uh, sermons and stuff. You guys know what Bridgebox is by now. I'm, I'm not going to make it through this plug if I have to do more. So sign up. It's great. <laughs> Holidays. Thank you. Holidays. We jump to our first question here. Sure. You hang this all the way to the end. I give some ways to write in with this. First question comes into our email address. It says... I prayed and talked to mentors about a decision. It seemed like everything was pointing towards going ahead. Then at the last minute, some circumstances changed, and it was impossible to go ahead with that plan. I'm really disappointed and confused. Did I totally miss something? How do I think about this? And Glenn, I think this is a very good question and a situation a lot of folks uh, find themselves in where Mm -hmm. we talk about listening to the Lord a lot on the show, and it is one of those things that kind of goes really untalked about in a lot of churches and church culture. So when people... Do that, I think, whether it be a job thing, a relationship thing, there can be a lot of this of feeling like all that's going uh, in a thumbs-up direction, and then uh, outside circumstances changing that. So what does that say about the process of listening to the Lord, and what's yeah. the attitude we should have when we uh, encounter that, inevitably? Well, first and foremost, I think, let's let's talk about where this is in our development. Uh, at the very beginning, uh, what you're doing is uh, whatever the heck you want. Sure. And then every now and then you say, thumbs up, Lord, and then you do it anyway. Sure. Uh, you hope that a certain amount of that is based loosely on the Bible, sort sure. of. But when it's a career decision or a dating decision or all that, you're not going to get that in the Bible because it's not like you're going to open it up and it's going to say, Leroy, go ahead and take that job. So you're, you're, you're in a position where you have to actually go to the Almighty and ask him what he thinks. But for whatever reason, when we when we take that step in our development of actually going to God and actually asking him what he thinks, um, what we apparently think of is, okay, tell me one piece of information about this that will always be true and will apply for all time from now on, and then I'm never coming back and doing this again. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know... You know, the Lord gives you an instruction, and you're like, okay, that's it. I'm on it. I'm looking, doing that, and that's it. Looking for the everlasting gobstopper of divine <laughs> exactly, wisdom here. Exactly wow. right. But there comes a point where you say, um, where, where the Lord will lead you in one direction for a while, and then he'll lead you in this other direction for a while, and have you do this for a season, and then do another thing for a season. Uh, that's the normal course of things. That's how it, it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be going to God for wisdom from now on and depending on him and, and seeking the kind of wisdom you're, you you were seeking on this particular circumstance, you need to be seeking daily. So I know that seems like a lot because there was a lot to this uh, situation, but that's actually what the Christian life looks like, is going to God and letting him give us that sense of direction. Um you may be familiar with the biblical story of Abraham, where God told him to do one thing uh, with Isaac, and then told him to do a different thing now. Uh, mm-hmm. This happens quite a bit in my walk, where God right. says, I, I would like for you to go to this place and do this thing. And I say, I, I don't want to. And then he says, yes, but it, I would like for you to do that. Well, uh, that's, not, I, that's probably not a good idea. And the Lord says, why? And I say, because I don't want to. And then 
then I say, probably that's the wrong idea. And he says, definitely that's the wrong idea. And then it's like, well, maybe. And then, and then there's like 15 more steps. Sure. And then I say, okay, I'll do it. But it's not infrequent. The Lord will say, okay, now that you're willing to do that, I want you to do this other thing. Uh-huh. Uh, the idea was to be willing to, to, to subvert your will and willing to, being willing to follow the Lord where he leads. And the the blessings and the benefit of that is you you go for this other thing that I open up over here. Uh, so I think it would be wrong in that moment to say, no, Lord, give me the, the thing that I was griping about not wanting to do. Sure. <laughs> I have to let the Lord make these back and forth adjustments in my life. Uh, I have to be responsive to the changes and, and adaptive to those changes uh, that are going on around me. Uh, and and God has me doing things for a, a, a time period. When that's over with, he, and sometimes it's before I actually do the thing, he's leading me in another direction. And the key is to keep rolling with those changes. Yeah, I think it's a really great point. And Jay, I'd love to get to you here. And there's another aspect of this that I'd love to get you to kind of shed some light on, which is another thing um, we deal with in a fair amount, particularly in ministry, which is um, I can pray something up, and get the get the thumbs up, and I've listened as well as I can, and get that that's the idea. And then I can go to the other person, or the church, or the denomination, or whatever it is, and say, okay, we're doing this right, and then go, oh no, I'm not doing it. And that doesn't necessarily mean what I was hearing was wrong. Yeah, the, It means somebody's got their wires crossed here, but yeah. when that comes to something like you know, be that a job thing or be that uh, this, we hear about this a lot in relationships, but I was so sure I was supposed to be with this person and this person's not really all that interested at this point. Yeah. How do we kind of isolate some variables here to both kind of, uh, as Glenn is saying, diagnose where we are in this journey with what's wrong with our listening and just kind of deal with the fact that we can listen right and stuff can, we still get the outcome we want. Yeah, that's a really sharp insight. We should know it's a tough position to be in what you're describing. We're sorry for it. Um, it's, it's frustrating. It's confusing. It's disorienting. And we've, we've all been there. We're, we're sorry that you're facing that. As Matt rightly points out, there are at least two things worth looking at. The, the first is that very few decisions that you make in life depend only on you. Um, you know, uh, you're trying to make a decision about whether or not to be a part of a, a broader narrative of things. Well, that means other people have decisions to make too, right? So, and uh, people, it turns out, don't do what God wants them to do all the time. So Matt brought up the example of, of a dating relationship and, you know, uh, you know, uh, God really put it on your heart to pursue this person, pursue this relationship, maybe put it on their heart too. And maybe they decided, yeah, I'm just not going to do that. Well, now we have a problem because you were willing to be obedient, but they weren't. And so that does kind of change things in a sense. Uh, that doesn't change the, the ultimate fundamental will of God, but it certainly changes a lot of the particulars in the short term. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't change the principle that God uh, you know, uh, has a, a great relationship for you and wants to prepare you for that, but it does change what next week is going to look like. And so that leads to the second thing, which is that a lot of stuff in life is pretty fluid, that situations can, can change and can sometimes change rapidly. And yeah. that's why we need to go back to what Glenn was saying. We don't want to get in a mode where we ask God for wisdom on something and we say, okay, that's the last word on that forever. Because things change. Things change just because that's how life is. But things also change, as Matt's pointing out, because there's a lot of other people not getting wisdom from the Lord and just kind of doing what seems best to them, which often is not the thing God wanted them to do. 
God has a way of giving people an opportunity to be a part of something awesome. He's, he's really generous. He's, he's really into that. And most people are saying no to those things all day long. And so if you, if you get into the habit of actually trying to receive wisdom from the Lord, I think what you're going to see way more of than you might expect is the Lord asking you to be prepared to go down certain roads. But those roads, which runs we're actually going to take depend a lot on the other people involved. Um, sometimes, as Glenn is pointing out, that is purely a preparatory thing. We, we want you to be willing to do X um, when the plan is actually to do Y so that you get your head in a better place. And that there's plenty of that. But there's also plenty of, I want you to be ready to do X. These other three people have to make the right decisions for that to be possible. Um, and, and if that happens, we want to take that road. But plenty of times, they don't make the right decisions. And so we need to go back to the Lord and, and say, what are we doing now? Do you still want me to pursue something like this? What's changed mm-hmm. here? What hasn't changed here? If you can dig it, as frustrating as that can be, and it can be really frustrating, if we'll let it, that can also drive the kind of relationship with the Lord where we build real intimacy, where there's right. a real back and forth and there's a real exchange, and we're, we're not just going to the Lord once in a while for wisdom, but it's an ongoing thing. It can actually get us to a stronger place, uh, and that's what we want for you. That's a fantastic point, and Leah, I'd love to get you to close out here by talking about one more aspect of this, which is these guys have talked about kind of the the forward-looking aspects of this, and this is what I want you to talk about is, and I will say up front, a later on in the process things. We're talking about here there's uh, there's disappointment and there's there's hurt and all that needs to be worked through, but at some point, hopefully, we land at a place where we can look back and say, even though that didn't turn out the way I thought it would, what good came out of that? Because one thing we can say unequivocally is if you if you uh, listen to the Lord and follow in those ways, even if you, as we're saying, don't get it 100% right or you don't, the uh, circumstances change, uh, God is going to grow you through that. So how do, yeah. once we're past the initial disappointment phase, what do we look for those kind of what came out of this moments? I think that's an awesome question. It's an awesome angle to take on this. And I think that the thing that often holds us back from being able to, because what you're talking about is learning. You know, so I've, I've, I've hit a disappointment, which happens to everybody. And, um, and the question is, what, what do I do now? Am I, am I ready to move on? As Jed's saying, am I ready to, to, uh, to find where the next path is? Like, like Glenn's talking about it, you know, what is the Lord leading me to? But uh, another part of this is, am I willing to learn? Um, and, and that's an interesting question. I think the thing that hangs us up, or I, I know the thing that can often hang me up on this is that when we get when we feel like you know we've gathered our people around us and we we went to the lord in prayer other people prayed on our behalf and we came up with a with a plan of action that a thing starts to happen where we start to feel good about something we start to build a narrative we start to kind of tell a story about how this is going to go down um, because we got people on our side and we got people praying it up or whatever and then like glenn said any little wrinkle on that throws us off completely and then what can very very easily happen is um, is that our insecurities and our hangups can start to connect the dots over why that narrative didn't work out? Didn't work mm-hmm, out. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, uh, okay, so me and my mentors prayed through this deal, and we came up with a plan of action. This is the way this is going to go down. It does not go down that way. So, uh, you know, d- does this mean my <clears throat> my my mentors aren't who I think they are? They don't get prayer. Uh, does this mean that God doesn't hear me? You know what it probably means. It probably means that I'm disqualified in some way. Uh, it probably means that I, you know, that I suck. God is disappointed in me in some way, and that's why, 
even though we totally came up with a good plan and we totally prayed it up that this girl said no when I asked her out, you know, or whatever the thing is. Um, and, and, and when you, when you start to build that story and it doesn't go exactly the way you think it's going to go, um, uh, we can, that leaves a, that leaves a gap. And it's really easy for the insecurities and the hangups to be the first thing to start connecting all those dots. Mm-hmm. But if you're willing to, what you can say is, all right, um, things did not go the way that I wanted them to, but um, as these guys are saying, I need to find out what the Lord has for me next. I need to figure out what my next step is going to be. And is there anything in this that I can learn about myself? In other words, as I went through this, um, anybody that knows me well, would they like? Would they be able to look at me and say, if, if they had the courage to or if I allowed them to, hey, this one thing, I see you doing this. Um, is there anything was a like was a blind spot exposed in me? Did I did I learn something that I could do differently next time? Um, and am I willing to am I willing to look at this with some humility and and learn some stuff, or will I let my insecurities just tell me bury me under a mountain of shame? You suck. Nothing good will ever happen to you. Those are two totally different things. Am I willing to learn about myself? Am I willing to see what needs to shift as I walk through this kind of situation next time? Or am I just going to say, nothing good will ever happen to me, nothing good ever happens to me, and it's probably because I deserve it, I'm, you know, and, and now, I'm, you know, now I'm buried. Um, and those are two totally different ways to approach, approach this. As these guys are saying, the correct thing is to figure out what's next. But we can be informed by what happened before as we approach what's next, if we can look at it with humility, and if we, if we can get some reps on dismissing you know, shame, insecurities, and hang-ups. That's very, very good stuff. Uh, I'll close on this talk about, there's a phrase that kind of um, sports stat nerds use, which is, um, uh, good stats are not outcome-dependent. Basically, like the the, the uh, it's a statistically good idea in football to go for it on fourth and two every time. Just percentage wise, that's a good play. If you happen to do that and it doesn't work out one time, that doesn't mean that that's now a bad play. That means that it didn't work out one time and you still it still works. You know, whatever eighty percent of the time. So we look at not being outcome dependent and listening to the Lord is one of those things where your success at it cannot be outcome dependent. As we're saying here, as Jeb was saying, there's a lot of moving parts and stuff. We have stuff all the time that people listen to and personalize, and particularly in ministry stuff where it's full on thumbs up. It's you know it's been prayed up by multiple people, and it all looks down. We're all sitting down, and then you know some decision maker somewhere just sometimes, and you may have experienced this, has a Jekyll and Hyde moment and just decides, no, no, we're not doing that. Oh, oh no. Yeah. And now that thing's not happening. That doesn't mean. Uh, that we were wrong. That doesn't mean that that would not have been a good idea. I think sometimes when we think about this listening to the Lord thing and divining the Lord's will, we get this idea that there's this um, entirely fixed narrative that we're supposed to jump on at points. And there's not... Okay, there's... Anybody who tells you that they understand how God uh, unrolls the future is entirely lying. Yep. But we can be pretty sure that it's not a one-and-done, either you get on the train or you don't thing, because that would mean we're all doomed. Yeah, I think if you think of the the biblical story of Jonah, it's a similar yeah. kind of thing where the Lord says, you know, go to the Ninevites and tell them to repent because I'm going to squash them. And he says, no, it goes the other way. Eventually he goes back, tells them, repent because God's going to squash you. 
then they all repent and he doesn't squash them. And Jonah's mad. Wait a second. That wasn't the story. I was promised squashing. I was promised squashing. You did the, the narrative, as you're saying, has changed. The outcome has changed. The Lord's like, well, no, that was the, we're, we're giving them a choice here. They took the right choice. Therefore, this is what happens. It's all good. Be happy, whatever yeah. it is. But, yeah, we have that, that story built in our mind, and it's got to play out that way or or something's wrong somewhere, as Lee said, we have to figure out who to blame on that. Yeah, so when we, when you deconstruct that, as I was saying, there's almost certainly, Glenn's exactly right, uh, the Jonah story is a good example. Um, there's going to be some faith building if you, in listening to the Lord, pretty much no matter what the outcome is. So, you know, whatever the thing was, if it was, you know, I, I didn't end up getting the job I wanted, but I, I took that risk and was willing to step out and bet on myself and not be a complacent person as I often am or... I, you know, I really was committed to a future with this person and they, they weren't going for it, but there's almost certainly some things you overcame, insecurities, fears, to get to the point of doing that, that uh, the fact that you didn't get the outcome you want doesn't uh, wash all that away. That's, and that's what these guys are saying about that, keeping your head on a swivel for that next thing, that good thing that God does want to bring into you, is just because you didn't get the, uh, the, the win on this time, that doesn't mean that all was for naught. You know, God doesn't... Uh, you know, the, the Bible says that the word of the Lord does not return void, and that's, that's true for you. If you're, if you're going through something, that's to build you up for the next thing. But we will uh, close out on the caveat that that doesn't change the fact that when it happens, it sucks. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you'd had, and we all, this will never happen, a piece of audio or video recording equipment on Gripesgiving, a good 70% of them would have been pretty much the thing you're describing here. Yeah. Uh, there's a way this should have gone, and somebody screwed it all up. And yes, eventually we land on the Lord has a greater plan and we'll all go through it. But um, there's a certain amount of swearing that must be done to get it there. And that's fine, too. <laughs> and move on to our second question here. We actually had a, a friend uh, who uh, comes in uh, with the host team to our, our bridge service uh, who let us know that they had uh, been doing some stuff in their, their small group as a host team at the bridge. And they had been talking about work. And part of that was asking basically questions. What questions do people have about their work life? And uh, they were kind enough to pass a few on to us. They thought we liked in the podcast. And some of them were really good. So we'll sprinkle a few of these in over the next few recordings. And this is, uh, this is a very good one, I think. Came from a young professionals kind of style uh, community group. But I think it's really a question for us to uh, put down. The question came in, do I need to be passionate about my job? An excellent question. And Jed, why don't you kick off here? You don't. It's nice if you if you are, but but you don't need to be passionate about your job. I think it's worth looking at why you might feel a sense of pressure that you need to, and that's because our culture actually has a really big fixation on that. Um, yep. If you spend a lot of time on Instagram or other social media sites, you you see a lot of memes and a lot of uh, inspirational quotes over um, perfectly photographed sunsets. You know, say things like do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And that's just not true um, at, at all. I'm, I'm incredibly blessed to do what I do. It's yeah. work though. Sure. Like right. for real. Yeah. There's work elements to anything you do. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Right. You do need to have things that you are passionate about. Um, but there's two things we want to note on that. The first is it's no problem for that passion to lie outside of your work hours. Yeah. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. Through history, the huge, huge, huge vast majority of, of people who've ever lived did not have work that they were passionate about. Um, uh, they, they still were able to have things they were passionate about in their lives. Um, 
The, the second thing that we want to look at is even when you find things that you're passionate about, not every detail and every moment of experience will be laden with passion. That's, that's not how passion works. <laughs> I mean, on some level, passion, which is an ill-defined term, is a combination of a sense of meaning and purpose um, and an emotional state. Well, the thing about emotions is they can't be sustained. No one can just have a certain emotion all the time. There's no such thing as that. So the emotional side of passion is going to come and go. There, that's unavoidable. There, there isn't anything that, that you or anyone else can do about that. The, the more purpose and meaning uh, element of that, that doesn't – it either doesn't waver or it doesn't need to waver. But in a lot of ways, that's more a decision that, that you make than anything else. And some days you really have feelings about that, and that's awesome. You have a lot of emotional resonance with these things that you've chosen to do that bring a sense of meaning and purpose into your lives. And some days you have less feelings about that, and that's, that's okay. The one other thing that we definitely want to add just as we, as we start looking at this topic is that finding and cultivating a sense of passion is a journey. Um, mm. That most of the things that I am passionate about, and I think it's true for the other guys in this podcast, we found, I think this is something I could be passionate about, and then we lived into that, and that passion grew, and it evolved, and it developed. Um, There's a very American idea that I will show up at a thing, and I'll be like, this is the thing just like this forever, change nothing. Nothing in life works that way. Um, we want to look for that sense of a tuning fork going off inside of us. We, we do want that, that sense of there's something here that really resonates with me, but then we have to live into it. We have to develop it. We have to let it mature and grow often over a period of years. And that's okay. That's how that's supposed to work. But again, there, you don't need to feel any pressure that that needs to be tied in to the thing that you do to make a living. That's a really fantastic point. And Leah, I'd love to, to go to you here. There's also an aspect of passion that I think is, is deeply misunderstood, which is um, just passionate about just life and travel and church and music, and I, it just never turns off. I'm just always passionate about every aspect of everything. I, I come to church, and I, I love the singing, and I love the preaching, and I love the, the upholstery on the chairs, and I love the color <laughs> of the paints, and I'm just so passionate about all of it. Just a big ball of passion. Uh, when everything in life has uh, some aspects you're nuts about, some aspects you're not nuts about, right? and that definitely includes your job. So how do we maybe look for some things to be excited about, about our job, even if it's not our quote-unquote passion? Well, that, that is a, that's a great question. And, and uh, you know, in the exact same way that Jed's talking about, you know, uh, and, you know, he, he speaks for all of us. When we all love, all the guys in this podcast love what we do. I mean, absolutely love it. But there's a lot of it that is not, <laughs> that doesn't feel very passionate. Even things like, like, you know, we, like all of us on this show do, uh, you know, ministry to folks behind bars. And that's like the coolest thing. I mean, the, you know, we all have a lot of passion for that. But if you've never done any kind of prison ministry, you can't possibly understand how much headache is involved in that. Yeah. And there's a lot of boredom, there's a lot of headache, there's a lot of trouble that involves getting to the place where the the the, the stuff that you would feel passionate about <laughs> happens. And this but, but the exact flip of that can happen in your work in the in the sense that you know, if you work for a place that manufactures whatever, you may not be have any passion about that product whatsoever. You may not have any passion about, you know, in any piece of the things that you're doing. But there may be elements of that work that are passion worthy. 
And what I mean by that is that God has called you to something in his life, in your life, and he's called you to some, you know, to have some part in the building and advancement of his kingdom. Well, what in your job um, can refine something about you that he's calling you to use in other places in your life? And there's a way for you to have a passion about that thing. So I've got a friend who is... um, who works in the engineering field and a lot of people in his a lot of people in his field kind of keep their head down, crunch the numbers, do their work. And when he showed up for his job the first day, the first thing that he did was he got to know all the people that were under him. Um, all the people who were doing the the work were, you know, not the engineering kind of stuff. And he, he started building these relationships and understood the processes that were leading up to that affected, you know, the, the, the work that was eventually going to land on his desk. And it wound up making him such a great, you know, it, it honed his listening skills, it honed his relationship skills to people that were really different from him. It wound up, you know, pushing him, by the way, up and up and up in the company. But also, this is a ministry skill that he's going to be, that he's going to have at his disposal for the rest of his life. Somebody that listens, somebody that somebody that cares about folks who are, uh, you know, have a totally different background, totally different kinds of experiences. So I think that in any kind of field, even if you're not passionate about your work, there could be things about it that, um, that the Lord is using to refine you in something he wants to use somewhere else. And how can you talk to him about, show me the places at, at, in, in where you have me, um, where, where you're growing something in me that you're going to use somewhere else. Show me something in this, even if I'm not passionate about the thing, that, that does excite me, that does give me a sense of purpose, that I can tell is making me a better friend, a better, a, a better human being, a better husband or a better wife or, or whatever, that, what, whatever those different relationships in your life. Are there things about what you're doing that are passion worthy? That's a really, really sharp aspect on that. And Glenn, let me just close out here. And let's maybe replace the word passion with calling here. Yeah. Because there's a lot of talk about passion in the church and a lot of yeah. talk about calling and right. no defining of either. That's right. Yeah. And, and generally speaking, what, what you, when you hear a pastor talk about passion, what he means is you need to volunteer and do something in here. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's great. You know, that's what we're talking about here is find a thing that, that God's calling you to do and do it. So uh, I would be on the same page with that. But we have a way of calling it passion instead of get off your butt and volunteer for the vacation Bible school, because that sounds more churchy, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I think it'd probably be better if you just went if ahead you feel and... led to get off your lazy butt <laughs> yeah, and but... help out at the VBS. Hey, there you go. Know. That's pretty churchy. You, know, sure. you, you could say that. Compromise. You know? Yeah, that's right. Compromise. Now, in fairness, the Passion Conference sells a lot more tickets than the get off your lazy butt and volunteer <laughs> at the VBS conference. Yeah, that's so, true. We that's, don't know until we try, Jed. That's, we, we got to try. But here's the thing is... Um, uh, uh, you do need to be passionate about the things the Lord is, is calling you to. You will be. There's almost no way to not be. If you're, if you're fulfilling God's calling in your life, you're going to be pumped about that. You're going to be excited. Uh, there is the problem that uh, you're not going to be passionate about your calling till you know how to do it. If you're trying to do it and you're not pulling it off, then it's not going to be very passionate worthy you know it's it's not, it would be unnatural to say i'm doing this and totally failing about it but i'm i'm really passionate about it you know that that, that kind of doesn't fit nor to be good at that thing and to have a little bit of uh, success uh you need to be part of a team generally speaking and you need to have a mentor that's teaching you and helping you and guiding you in that 
there's a lot of people that just kind of resist that. They say, you know, step one, I will accomplish something completely on my own that is completely self-styled, and and then I will feel good about myself on the basis of that. That we have to go away from that thinking. We have to think. Yeah. How? What is my function within the body where I fit in with other people? I'm doing stuff in conjunction with other people. So there's somebody around me that's doing something. How do I help that person do that thing? You're going to have a lot more impact if you have that kind of mentality. Um, but ultimately, I think, and I want to draw out a point that, that Lee was touching on there, which is, uh, and, and I think Jed was hinting at this as well, there's a sense that ministry professionals... Uh, are doing real ministry and that their whole job is their calling. And if my job is not ministry, and if it isn't part of my calling, then I must not be fulfilling God's purpose for for my life. And I sort of can't be because I'm I'm doing accounting all day. Nobody's right, getting right, saved right. while I'm doing this accounting. Okay, <laughs> let's let's scrub all that. And let's start over from the beginning. Uh, people in ministry, uh, in full-time uh, ministry, most of them spend a small fraction of their workday doing actual ministry. Uh, most church pastors spend a tiny fraction of their workday doing <laughs> ministry. They're, they're doing meetings about things and looking at uh, accounting and things and whatever. They're, you know, that, that's just, you're running a nonprofit operation there, really. Don't forget uh, vision casting. All of that. Uh, and and uh, when I started, I was a prison chaplain, and you would not believe the meetings. I mean, you just couldn't get your mind around how many meetings. None of them had any point, but I wasn't allowed to skip any of them. And the paperwork was enormous. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was just to the point of being laughable. And I, because I had to fill out this paperwork, I knew exactly how many hours I was spending on paperwork because that was part of the paperwork. So I realized, no kidding. You had to account for every hour of every day what you were doing. Yeah. And I like, I can now see exactly how much time I'm wasting on this paperwork. It turns out my volunteers, according to the paperwork, were doing more ministry than I was doing Mm -hmm. because I'm administrating. And I went to a chaplain, a a guy who uh, turned out to be a mentor of mine later on. I went to him and I said, how do you get any ministry done with all this paperwork? And he says, oh, I just make it up. So what do you mean? He says, I just make it up. Nobody ever looks. So I just sit down and I just, one day at the end of the month, it's about an eight hour day. I just sit down with all the reports in front of me and I just completely make it all up. And I said, this is the kind of spiritual leadership I've waiting, been waiting my whole <laughs> sure. life to receive. <laughs> Getting away so with he, stuff. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen the light? Exactly what it was like for me. I said, you know, uh, he and I, every at the last day of the month, we both get together. It was a whole ceremony, all day, just write fiction for eight <laughs> hours, and then we'd go and get pizza afterwards. We get a ton of ministry done. But my point in telling you that story is, I have to fight to get ministry done out of this mm-hmm. ministry career. People want me to come to meetings now all the time. It's for nobody knows why. When you when you say I want you to come to the meeting, okay, what's this meeting for? Well, we're going to talk about a proposal to do the thing. Is anybody getting saved at this meeting? Well, no. Okay, I'm not interested. You got to do something to get me interested. Well, maybe somebody will set up something. Somebody will get saved, maybe. Really? 
Really? Is there really a chance of that? Um, maybe. I'm not feeling it, bro. Doesn't seem likely. Have your not getting people saved <laughs> meeting and then invite me for the meeting where they are getting saved and then I'll come for that meeting. So I have to be stingy with my time. I have to I have to continue yeah. to press this. But you have to do the same thing with your career. I think that it, the myth is you get yourself in a position where ministry just falls in your lap. That doesn't happen for anybody, even for us in, in full-time ministry. We have to fight. And we have to we have to fake our paperwork in order to get to the place where we're doing ministry. You have to do a similar type of thing in terms of you have to fight against the world that's all just kind of trying to steer you into being a drone and uh, look at is there an angle here? Is there is there a guy at work I can minister to? Can I take the stuff that I do for my day job and donate that at the church and do a similar thing for those people at the church? Can I can I just donate money from this job that I do that I actually kind of like okay and I make a crap ton of money at? I can just donate a ton of money and, and pick, pick something really super cool that that money could do. Right. So it's like when I'm doing my day job, I'm doing, doing stuff for that. But my point in saying that, and I'm driving to the hoop here, but the whole point is your whole life is your calling. So that's mm. what you do to earn money. That's what you do volunteering if you happen to do that. It's where you give your money. And it's also what you do for rest. The rest recharges your batteries to be able to keep this whole system going. Everything in your life serves the Lord and serves your calling. It's a great point. If your passion and calling is knowing the statute of limitations on admitting to fraudulently submitting documents <laughs> to the Texas Department of Corrections, then say that podcast at gmail.com. Do get in touch. That might come up. Come, you you got to catch me if you want me to hang. That's my, that's my whole thing. He's on the lamb. That's right. Nobody can no. We recognize no federal or state authority here in the underground bunker. We're a sovereign podcast. We want to point that out. Um, I think Glenn closes out on a great point there that it's it's all calling. And again, there's a lot of there's a lot of misconception when it comes to things like calling and passion. That to do that means it's going to be great. It's going to be high uh, impact. Uh, uh, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be it's going to be you know it's like a movie where they tell a story of three years of someone's life and cut out all the crappy parts. It's like that all the time. And again, from four people who are, can say with a great amount of confidence they're living their calling, no. Here, here's the, the truth, and this, some of this applies to us, not as much in ministry, but um, the vast majority of people I know, and that be people in ministry, that be people in the art world, the world of arts. I, I don't mean people run galleries. I don't know any of them, but you know, musicians, painters, uh, actors, whatnot, and really business, any other thing. People would say, I am living my passion. I took my passion and I made it my work are miserable a lot of the time. Yeah, they are. And that's, uh, that's just true. People I know who are very happy have jobs. They would say this about, I like it. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, you got to do the half hour meeting every Tuesday and that sucks, but you know, and that can be an engineering thing that can be turning a wrench. That can be, I know people who really like spreadsheets. Yeah. I can't imagine that. I cannot <laughs> connect to those people, but here's what I know. You sit them down in front of a spreadsheet for six hours. At the end of the day, you say, what happened? I say, it's pretty good. And then they go on to do the other things Glenn was talking about and right. have their fun and have their excitement. And that doesn't have to happen at work. Um, from people whose fun and excitement at work occasionally involves gunfire nearby, it has its ups and downs. So, but it's going to say, God is calling you to a full life, and how you break that down here, there, and everywhere is uh, that that varies a good bit 
kind of um, from individual to individual, but don't buy into the narrative that you have to get all of that from one particular source. And we're going to jump to our final question here. This one came in anonymously to our Tumblr inbox, and it says, I have a wonderful girlfriend and hope to marry her one day. However, I'm aware of the sobering reality that marriage is not all sunshine, but sometimes can be really hard and burdensome. Things that seem really silly are quite frustrating to me. How important are these little things in the future of our relationship? And Lee, as we pointed out before, you do a lot of premarital counseling, a lot of marital and postmarital counseling. Where would you start us off? I'm also super married, so I'm qualified to answer this question. Um, I, wow. I think this is a good question, and um, and I think I'd love to start it out by uh, by exposing some relationship myths, if we could. Um, one of the relationship myths, and you would not believe how often it happens, is the idea that if I just find the person that I was made for, then we just have perfect chemistry and everything, all that, all every, all of our interests and everything all fits together. The way we spend our time, the way we communicate, all of it, and everything is just perfect forever. Um, and it's easy, and it's not a problem. And here's the deal is there is no relationship like that, ever. Uh, there's not this person that you were made perfectly for, and so therefore there is no work involved in it, and there there is no um, there's no learning or anything like that. Relationships are always a, a, a tough thing because everybody's weird. I mean, everybody has weird stuff, weird hang-ups, weird personality quirks and here's the other thing is even if you learn somebody like not many people are very consistent we're not even like consistently weird we're like as soon as you figure this person out then they there's some wrinkle and there's a there's a whole thing and then you got to relearn the whole deal and the thing is is that with a successful marriage the the give and take and learning how to be a team and when to forbear and when to have a conversation about things that need to change, how to forgive, how to learn, how to move towards each other. These are the, the in, in the thousand little things that make up the will, that make up the like the way that you communicate, the way that you deal with people, the way that you handle stresses and the way that you handle work, the way that you handle people in your life. All of that little minutia, that's the stuff that makes a marriage work and last, is learning how to do that as a team. So, for instance, there are things about um, the person that you're, that you're with that you want to marry. There are things about them that the Lord wants to grow and change in their life. And, you know, when those things come up, you have to be able to honestly talk about that stuff, and we have to get a plan on how we're going to work through that as a team. There are other things that um, the Lord wants to change in you, and when you meet stuff in in your mate, learning how, like, what are the things that I'm not going to die, you know, this isn't the hill I'm going to die on today, these are the things that I'm going to forbear and forgive, and these are the things that we have to have a conversation about. And learning the difference between those things, and then your mate learning the difference between those things in you, that's where the teamwork of all of this stuff and the patience and the forgiveness, that's where this becomes a daily work of of learning how to love each other and learning how to be a team. It's it's these kinds of little things that 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 make you a good team. But I think that what happens is, and this is because of you know, it's because of movies, it's because of uh, it's because of social media, it's because frankly of people who lie. 
uh, the idea that we get is if I pick the right person, then it's just going to be golden. Um, we're 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 going to be fine. There, we may have some hiccups and stuff like that, but it's just going to be fine. Um, I love the the marriage that I have, and I'm I'm so stoked about our our friendship and our relationship. But I'll tell you what, we've earned it. We've worked hard for it over a long time through a lot of problems, through a lot of conflict, learning how to be friends, learning how to be, learning how to to have fights and arguments with humility, with respect, uh, you know, doing it poorly and then learning to do it better and doing it poorly again, learning it to do a little bit better, a little bit better. But it is these little things. What are the things that I need to forbear? What are the things that I need to have a conversation with? And what are the things that that the Lord wants to grow in me? And f- learning how to encourage each other, promote each other, and and live with one another as we work as a team towards figuring it out. That's, that is the whole thing with making a relationship good and last. It's a fantastic place to start us off, and Glenn, I'd love to get you here. Let's pick up on something that Lee was saying there, because I think it's a really important point, and I will, uh, as we always do, throw in people who write Christian books and youth pastors who tell adorable stories right. about how they just knew the first time they saw her. Right, right, but, right. Well, let's not think about how many other people we just knew the first time we saw them, but you know, this right, one, right, right, what right, happened right. to turn out. Um, but there's that aspect of, and I think our question asker is right to see through that, say, I'm starting to come to understand that marriage is not going to be an easy thing, as Lee is pointing out. But right. if we have a culture that will not even admit that part, uh, it's very hard to get answers for what to do when you inevitably, oh, I'm going to say on day three, uh, run this ship totally into the ground. Right. So I think that's the real answer we're looking at here. Once we had some honesty, like Lee's talking about, let's look at... um how we deal with the fact that this person drives us crazy, because it's actually not that big a deal once we look at it, right? Well, that's right. I, I too, am married hard with a vengeance, and uh, you, you, you do earn it. You earn a good marriage. It doesn't just jump together. I think uh, we have to start with patience, okay? Uh, now, the problem with patience is uh, we think patience is gritting our teeth and putting up with stuff and not saying anything. That's actually the opposite of patience. You you are being impatient with that person all the way through that because you're pissed that they're doing something that irritates you. Um, uh, patience is when you take the time to calm yourself down and calm down your frustrations and say, I really need you to do this the way we talked about and not this other way and please work with me thank you you know sure. that that's what patience sounds like uh we have to start with with that patience uh and if you dig what i'm saying there that patience then leads to good communication where you're saying stuff clearly you're putting it right out there there's total honesty there isn't any of this being around the bush, there isn't any um, you know, passive-aggressive and waiting for the other person, and there isn't any of that you should just know and any of that crap. <laughs> you're coming out and you're saying, hey, uh, I, 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 I know that it's been a busy week, and I know things get lost in the shuffle, and I know uh, that, that we all need to be reminded of things that we're trying to change, but you remember how I told you to do this thing? Man, I'd really appreciate it if you do that. That's, that's what a patient person sounds like. And that's allowing them to have good communication. If I'm patient, I can tell you the thing without biting your head off. And if I tell you the thing and I'm being patient without biting your head off, here's what you got to do. 
you gotta meet me halfway on that and say, oh, yeah, right, sorry, I'm not gonna do that again. Because if you don't, then then you get the biting the head off part, and that's that's uh, that's where things go go south. So good communication then opens the door to understanding, where you say, remember how I told you to not do the thing when you did the thing? Well, that other person can then come back and say, well, actually, I didn't do that. This other person did that, and I didn't notice it, and, and I'm sorry, and I'll fix it now. So you find out sometimes that you were wrong about what you thought. Uh, sometimes you'll find out there are mitigating circumstances. Uh, sometimes a person just says, you're right, I, I screwed that up, but I was just, I'm just tired and frazzled and I forgot. Something like that. So you can get into good understanding off of that good communication. That's really, really key. If you understand the nature of the problem, that's different from pointing fingers and assigning blame. It's better to understand what's actually mechanically going wrong with this process. That's how you're going to solve it. If we, if we find out the other person is doing this wrong because they're a jerk face person, then we have, <laughs> there's no way to fix it because you're a jerk face person and we're all doomed here. Yeah. Uh, if, we, if we say, I think the problem is you get tired at the end of the day and you don't want to put your socks in the hamper, so you just throw your socks on the floor, which is insane and not allowed, and I will murder you in your sleep if you do it. <laughs> but I understand that you're tired at the end of the day, and it's just one more thing. Sure. So let's figure out a way to handle that. Where we, we, We'll put the hamper near where you take your socks off so you can just drop them straight in, whatever the thing is. So that's the last piece is strategy, uh, where you're developing a strategy that allows you to solve that problem. So patience leads to communication. A good communication, and communication leads to understanding, and then that understanding leads to strategy. And I know you're going to steal that. I sure. know you're going to. And I That's gave why you, I said it slow. I said it slow. You can roll back the tape. You can steal it. You don't have to give me credit for it. That's what this show is for. <laughs> sure. We want you to do it. But that's that's how this stuff allows you to solve these problems and move through them quickly. It's a fantastic point. I will uh, take a moment to give a customary say that disclaimer, which is Glenn is charming and cheeky in a way that very few people are and he can get away with adorable things like mentioning murder in a patient uh you know discussion about a relationship and unless you've been married for quite a while don't do that do not attempt that one at home um and jed love to get you to close out here and i think uh these guys have made great points about the marriage part of this and let's look at a little bit more of the uh the what are their what are the phrases things that seem silly yeah because uh uh, I didn't want us to get stuck in the weeds on it, but the, the initial um, example that came in in the question as it was answered on the blog was uh, basically, uh, I love this woman, but she is such an insanely picky eater that it makes eating out a, uh, a harrowing journey and mm. it drives me insane. Mm. Now, that is a petty thing to be mad about. Sure, yes. But if you're thinking about every time you want to have dinner for the rest of your natural life. Yeah. It's going to come up. I think, I wonder if the question is not, are we in a relationship where we feel comfortable? And do we have the tools to bring up something that can be quote unquote silly, but do use these skills these guys are giving us on that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's, you know, in relationships, you have, you have big picture things where there's clearly, you know, there's, there's a huge problem and we've, you know, we've just got to have a conversation, get into it. You know, your, your mother-in-law wants us to spend $30,000 and buy her a monster truck so that she can join the monster truck circuit. To be fair, pretty good price on a monster truck. <laughs> so 
we're clearly going to have to have a conversation about the fact that we cannot support your, you know, my mother-in-law's monster truck. I mean, the insurance alone. Exactly right. It's just, it's it's not practicable. But, you know, what, what both, you know, Lee and Glenn are, are pointing to, and it's totally true, is that there's a lot of stuff where it's easy to feel like, do I need to say something about this? Should I say something about this? Is this the right time to say something about this? And, you know, you know, am I just you know making a mountain out of a molehill? But here's the thing: I would I challenge you to think about in the relationship that you're in, and we you know in any relationships you'll be in the future is: Do you feel safe to bring up silly things that bother you? Yeah. And if you don't, why not? Right. Because here's here's the thing: there's there's a few possibilities here. Let's say I'm asking because I suspect you don't feel safe to bring up silly things that bother you. So let's say you don't for a second. There's a few reasons you might not. The first is you think the other person will say, that's stupid. No. Okay. Well, it's, it's possible. I mean, it's possible they'd say that. But here's the thing that happens in, in loving relationships, particularly when we work at them, is you bring up something, and maybe it is a little stupid. Maybe it is a little silly. Maybe you are being a weirdo. Right. And that person can say to you, that seems a little weird that that would be a thing for you. But I love you. Let's talk about it. Right. Let's tell me more about this this thing because it may not be exactly what you think it is. But I think there's something here that you have a legitimate concern about, and I'd love us to find that. Let's talk about it. And let's get into it. Now we're off to the races. This is amazing. Yeah. This is the stuff good relationships are made yeah, of. Sometimes you're frustrated with a little thing because it's 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 the straw that's breaking the camel's back on something else. Exactly right. And the funny thing about when people love you is they're prepared to be understanding and say you don't have a point on the thing you're bringing up. You don't, but you do have a point on this other thing that's related. Right. And I think that's what you're actually concerned about. Right. So let's right. get into it. And you can talk about it and say, well, I think I do have sort of kind of a point on this one thing only from certain angles in certain months of the year. But you know, right. let's, let, let's take three hours and talk it all the way through, see it from every possible angle and get to the other side where we're on the same page. I yep. think the problem that we run into is if we get into a situation where it feels adversarial, there is a problem. Whether it was started by something small or not, um, if we're getting to a place where it's adversarial, now we need to resolve this. And it's only a problem if we leave it there. If we have the three-hour conversation where we get all the way through and now we're on the same page, it's great. It's fantastic. This relationship is stronger now. We know each yeah. other better now. We are on. Uh, we are a more effective team now. Um, but if we, if we say that's silly, I just shouldn't bring it up. We're starting to get into dangerous territory there. Yes, there may be moments where we need, as, as Lee said, to forbear. There, there may be, this person's had an, an insanely long week, and this is a very small detail, and why don't we save this for a, a time when they are not falling asleep? That's, that's all good. But if we're not bringing things up at all because we're afraid they're silly, um, that, that's probably not a good idea. Likewise, if we're only having half of the conversation... And we're getting to a point where we're both kind of annoyed with each other and we're afraid of annoying each other more so we just stop. That's actually kind of even worse. When we have something really, really good is when we can, and it takes time to work to this, and that's okay. But where we can say, look, I'm not convinced I have a point here, right. but this thing's kind of annoying me. Can we talk about it? And then we know that other person will be patient and understanding, and we will talk this thing all the way through and figure out what we can do something about, what we do have a point about, what we don't have a point about. We can figure out how to approach it as a team. If we'll do that, we'll get to a good place. Here's why this is important. 
you are signing up for a permanent roommate for life. Right. Now you have sex, and that's great, and that helps a lot. It smooths over a lot. But it's still a permanent roommate <laughs> yeah. for life. Yeah. And uh, there is just no person out there who is so perfect in every way that you're not going to have things that, that drive you both a little bit crazy. That's right. So we've got to develop the tools and the techniques to be able to talk things all the way through, to not shortcut that conversation and not avoid that conversation, but talk things all the way through, get to the other side where we're on the same page and pulling on the same end of the rope. It's a great point. I think um, just to close out here, I would say that another key reason people may not bring something up is uh, for the worry that they are, in fact, the jerk face person. Yeah. Right. Um, so let's say, and again, this was this was an aspect of the original question that I didn't want to get bogged down in the details of. But let's say that as opposed to being a picking eater, your uh, your partner has fo- extraordinary food allergies and just makes it hard to find a place to eat. Uh, you you might feel like a jerk face person for bringing that up. Yeah, and you would be. Yeah, if you uh, tried to put that some level of blame on that. Now you can be annoyed that you can never eat at the place you like because you know. She can't eat there. Um, if you're willing to admit that, you will probably come to realize that there are other times of the day you eat. There are things she enjoys eating that you could, you can actually, they have this now, you can eat at home. Yes. Yeah. You can prepare the thing so you can make sure that there's not whatever she's allergic to in it. Right. There's a lot of ways around there, and I, I'm not making fun because we all have those things, those blind yep. spots where because we refuse to admit the nature of the problem or that it is a problem, if there's no problem, there can't really be a solution. Yeah. And there's actually a couple of things we right. talk about on the show like that, which is we're just hoping that a solution is going to present itself. And uh, the other bad news about being in a relationship is uh, you learn that you are, in fact, a jerk-faced person. Right, sure. And you're going to have to come to terms with that if we're going to get anywhere on that. And Jed, one more thing? Man, that's a really sharp insight. And that leads to, to another thing that's really important on all this is the importance of nuance and shading. Oh, Jed, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm an evangelical Christian. I don't like that at all. Well, uh, that's why you have an awful, awful, awful marriage. Here's the thing about nuance and shading. It's one thing to, to say to a person, all right, you're having a conversation because you're frustrated. It is important to be able to articulate, I am frustrated with this situation as opposed to, I am frustrated with you. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, it doesn't sound like a big difference. It's a huge difference, big, and here's right, why. Yeah, yeah. If you come in and say, I'm frustrated with the situation, then we can start this as a team trying right. to find solutions. That's right. That's right. It's great. I mean, to, to Matt's example, we knew a gal some years ago who had a terrible, terrible allergy to capsaicin, which is the substance that makes peppers hot. Um, like, like she had like a life-threatening allergy to it. Okay? So... Her husband would be a super huge jerk face to be frustrated with her right. over her capsaicin you and allergy. Your stupid enzymes. Exactly right. right. I mean, that that would be like <laughs> uh, no. Right. But it would it would almost be weird. This this fellow came from a background where you eat a lot of spicy food. It would almost be weird if he wasn't frustrated with the situation right. Right. of it being much harder to eat the foods that he enjoyed. I mean that. Yeah. It would be kind of odd if you say, oh, I don't even care about those foods. It don't mean anything to me. Well, right. to your very good point about uh, approaching things as a team, I bet she's not nuts about it either. No. Right, 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 but right. if you uh, kind of refuse to bring it up because you assume there will be a freak out, 
you're kind of inherently putting yourself, as I'm going to say, on different ends of the rope. Yeah, right. If you can, one of the things that will help a lot with, I feel silly, but these things are frustrating, is being clear, I'm, I'm frustrated with the situation as opposed to I'm frustrated with you, and also owning up to mitigating factors. Yeah. Saying, I am tired. Yes. I have had a long week. I am cranky. Right. One of the most beautiful things in the world is being able to say to your significant other, I am a cranky pants today. Yeah. That's, that's where <laughs> yeah. I am at. Right. I am overreacting to things because I have not had my juice and right. I did not get a nap and I definitely <laughs> didn't have a blankie. Right, right. That said, this thing is driving me crazy. Right. You are not driving me crazy, but this thing is driving me crazy. Can we, can we work together? That requires shading and subtlety and nuance, which are your friends. Yeah, just uh, to Jed's point, one thing that counselors say is that we have to learn the difference between uh, what's called a critique and what's called a criticism. That I that I that we bring up, um, uh, you know, I want to critique a situation. I have a I have uh, I have a thing I want to talk about that I'm I'm not happy with the way this is going, or I don't understand why a certain thing is a certain way. Can we work together and come up with a solution as opposed to you always do this and now yes. I'm insane? Um, because a criticism is a personal thing, and a criti- and a critique is. I want to look at this situation together. Can we both look at this together and see uh, how it can change or how my understanding could be enlightened so that I can realize why it has to be this way? Um, and so that's, that, that, that may not seem like a big difference, but as Jed's saying, it is. There, there's a huge difference in there. It, it, it does seem subtle, but uh, the, the difference in... Uh, attacking something from an impersonal vantage point where we are together looking at it from the same vantage point and sitting across the table pointing at someone and criticizing them is is a huge huge thing that as you as you work through this stuff and you learn to work as a team that you get better at it's a great point all right we're gonna uh take you out here thanks for listening if you have a question for us say that podcast gmail.com the bridge chicago dot tumblr.com if you uh if you're like me and you've already had it with the Christmas music, mm. Um, mm. you can uh, always check out our Bridge Worship album, which is now available. Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, anywhere you download or stream music. Just search Jed Brewer or The Bridge Worship, and that'll come right up. But if you're still hankering for more Christmas music, oh. we have some for you. Uh, this is actually off a, uh, a record that Lee and Jed put together for Lee's other podcast, The Water Tower. Yes. This is uh, our own Jed Brewer with a version of the Christmas Carol, What Child Is This? Oh. Yeah. Check out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. The Say That Podcast, wishing you a generic and nonspecific happy holidays, because that's the Christian way to do it. <laughs> what child?